0: This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Tim Dowse was the founding partner at FCB Inferno. And if you are remotely interested in anything to do with pitching and winning new business, growing your agency for sale, winning multiple can Lions, weathering recessions and winning accounts like BMW and Nokia, then this is a conversation that you just have to listen to. This is a masterclass on growing successful multi-million pound agency businesses he left a pretty secure well-paying job to launch inferno with his two co-founders and within just a few short years they won nokia globally blackberry remember them and several other notable names uh, draft fcb acquired them for just the small number of 11 million pounds and soon after they won uh, the bmw account They were the ones that also did the uh, This Girl Can campaign. Uh, They had the highest pitch-to-win ratio of any agency in London at the time. They've won multiple Can Lions. I'm going to stop talking now and and just say, without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Tim Dowst. Tim Dells has been in the media and marketing industry for over 30 years. His biggest achievement to date has been launching Inferno, one of London's leading integrated marketing agencies. They've now been merged into a global network. Their belief is the world needs more interesting, will still remain the same, but they are now they now have the support of over 150 countries behind them. Their main goal is to make their clients' businesses grow and flourish. He's now the co-founder of R&D and Pablo, helping brands with a broad spectrum of brand, business growth and strategy and leadership challenges, setting the business on the path to a defined future outcome. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Tim Doust, welcome to Agency Dealmasters.
1: Nathan, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I-
0: Absolute pleasure speaking to you on uh, having you on the show. Your background in history is absolutely fascinating. In 1987, you joined EMI Records as a retail marketing manager. What first attracted you to the world of media and advertising?
1: Well, you know what? Actually, in 87, when I uh, did join EMI Records, I was previously uh, to that at Bates, a a big, uh, big agency that was uh, London based. And prior to that, I was umming and ahhing what I actually wanted to do as a career, having spent a little bit of time on the football pitch, which we might want to come back to. Anyway, mm-hmm. I found myself um, at uh, EMI Records, having done a stint at Bates for about 18, 18 months. And uh, I, I stayed at EMI for about four years. Absolutely loved it. Stayed for far too long. And as a retail marketing manager at the age of sort of, I think I was about 26, hmm. uh, I um had a big old budget to play with, and obviously the record industry's changed its shape enormously. But sure. prior, prior to answer your question, Nathan, prior to going into the world. I was actually going to be a Eurobond dealer in the in the city, and uh, a lot of my mates were uh, going into the city and just going in it for the big bucks. To be honest with you, and I, I went in there. I was offered a job, and I just found it all so grey and <laughs> just mainly blokes kicking around in old dark suits back mm. in the uh, back in the late mid late eighties and. Um, And then I met a mate who was working at an agency in central London, and I just found the buzz and the vibe so much more interesting. And Mm -hmm. I could have earned a huge amount more money starting out (laughs) in my career, but decided to try and find a way into advertising, marketing, and and the world of media, which is kind of where Mm -hmm. I've stayed ever ever since. So Mm -hmm. yeah, a very um, interesting uh, start to to my career, and quite, quite varied.
0: You mentioned that you were once a pretty good footballer. You were actually a professional footballer. You played for Gillingham and Ipswich Town. What happened with your career?
1: Well, my short-lived career. I started uh, as, a, as an apprentice at Gillingham, which most people mm. won't have even heard of. Um, mm. m- many people would have heard of Ipswich. I went from uh, Gillingham uh, mm. up to Ipswich Town and uh, uh, basically I... Uh, got crocked and I was uh, injured a, a bit too much and coming from a a relatively privileged background it was a, it was a, it was always a little bit of a struggle actually because football even now even though there's um a, a lot of money in the game there wasn't there wasn't then um, right. and it it was a huge amount of uh, fun I did it for 2 years and I loved I loved every moment but I just had one mm. too many injuries and and I was kind of thinking well what should i do next having done okay at school and having done reasonably well in my academia um but i d- just didn't really know what to do which is why i thought okay let's follow let's follow a career in making money in the city, which I'm glad to say never ended up being. You didn't pursue. Which,
0: which footballers did you model yourself on at the time?
1: When I was at Ipswich, there was a guy called Kevin Beattie. He was just brilliant. And Mm -hmm. anyone of a certain age who's into football would Mm -hmm. would know him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was he was a bit of a mentor of mine. I actually had the privilege of playing with him. And I when I was at Ipswich, actually, there was a number of England players kicking around in wow. the club at the time. So I never made it into the first team, but I was a, a, a fully signed up pro there. And okay. it, was a, it was a fascinating thing uh, yeah. for me. Yeah, it was great. In
0: 1996, you joined the huge IPG, uh, the infamous uh, IPG. Uh, they were one of the big four ad agencies alongside WPP, Publicis and Omnicom. Um, There you ran the Lloyds TSB account as well as many others. What was that transition like?
1: Well, I, I was at agencies after uh, my football career, of course, uh, Nathan. And then, then I ended up at an IPG agency called Interfocus. And Interfocus was part of Lowe's. Lowe, Lowe is obviously still a very successful agency and still part of IPG. And I was uh, at Interfocus running the biggest account, uh, Lloyd's uh, TSB, as it was. And it's obviously been demerged. We were merging them together at the time back in '97. And that was uh, that was where I actually met my um, business partners uh, Fraser and Drew, uh, mm. that went on in two thousand to form um, Inferno, which was uh, was a, was a, another chapter entirely.
0: Hmm. So, so describe what the company was like when you were there. What IPG was like when you were there. So, uh, which agencies were part of the group? What was the culture like? So yeah.
1: the, the same, the same. So IPG was the holding company, which it, which it still is, and Lowe's were, were part of it, which it still is, and McCann and FCB, which was yeah. uh, was very strong at the time, and we were a subsidiary of Lowe's, and in, Interfocus was a really happening. Kind of, It was ahead of its time, actually, in, in terms of integration, which was the word of the moment. Every client wanted to have an integrated offering, but very few agencies could offer it. And I don't think the agency I was at, to be honest with you, were offering it either. But we got close to, close to doing it. So IPG were very supportive of what we were doing, but the market was incredibly different. If you think of 1997, sure. um, 24, 25 years later, 24 years later, um, the world is an incredibly different place. And obviously, sure. with, with COVID-19, it's even more different. <laughs> so it, it feels like a lifetime ago, you know, to, be, to be honest with you, Nathan.
0: Hmm. Let, let's talk a little bit about Inferno. Before selling to IPG, the agency was the fastest growing, most creatively awarded independent agency in London with the highest pitch to win ratios. What's the secret to building an award-winning multi-million pound marketing agency?
1: Well, in our case, it took a long, long time. Um, Having opened our doors uh, for business in 2000, we took a long time to really become successful. When we started, we didn't have... Most startup businesses have a a founding client in their back pocket before they get going we Mm -hmm. didn't we had nothing we had no clients so we were very we also weren't famous advertising men or and and weren't didn't have a big reputation but the reason we believed in in inferno and got that up and running was because simply we felt we could do a better job than the agency we were working at previously and so therefore and i think most startups are like this Mm. Believe they can offer prospect clients and, and their clients a better service, and mm. and ultimately in 2000 when we set up the business we were only four or five people in a little flat down in down in Wimbledon. And if you look at the journey we came on, without actually back then without any clients and without any proper prospects, my wife thought I was absolutely bonkers <laughs> leaving my relatively safe mm. job within. Uh, IPG at, uh, at Interfocus and going off to and having halved my salary with young kids mm. and so on um, mm. and going into a into a startup mentality where there was really no guarantee of any future earnings or future clients but I think with any business if you've got the ambition, if you've got the entrepreneurial spirit and you've got the people around you and I was lucky to have really two really great partners in Inferno and we stayed together uh, right to the end of the uh, the earnout, actually, which was quite quite amazing. I think that's probably quite rare. So I think every uh, agency has a journey, and the journey we went on was uh, quite a long one. When we started, we we thought, oh, let's uh, let's create something, and then maybe sell it in five or six years and create something else. But actually, mm. it took us a long time <laughs> to get to... eighteen years. Yeah, in, in in a way, it took a long time to get to where we. Uh, ended up. And even then, we didn't necessarily want to sell the business. We had a flag outside the agency saying mm. Inferno. We didn't have a flag out saying outside the agency saying For Sale. We um So I think to get to an award-winning, multi-award winning, winning lots of can lines and so on, and winning pitch after pitch after pitch, you have to just do lots of them and get better at them and, and start winning and converting more of the opportunities than less of the opportunities. And I think... Get to a stage in a in a business, certainly in my experience, where you have to get the best talent around you to hire people mm-hmm. who you think are better than you, and to hire people who have real belief in the same vision, um, not only creatively where that agency is going, but culturally, and to buy into the whole shebang. I was lucky with my partners that we weren't shredding on each other's toes. You know, Fraser and Drew have very clear roles and responsibilities, as did I. And I think the the sum of the the three of us all moulded together was much better than just one person going off and doing it on their own. Mm-hmm. I do work with businesses now that are doing that, but it's a huge hugely challenging. And I do admire some of those agencies that have one main leader and still prevail, still succeed. I don't think I would have done had I done it that way personally. So, mm-hmm. um, but talent and winning pitches, choosing the right pitches to go on. When, if I look back, Nathan, we mm. were so promiscuous when we started out because we didn't <laughs> have any clients. So we would go for anything and everything. And, mm. and I suspect with COVID-19, every agency is going to be doing the same thing right now. But if you can hold your nerve and go for the right things that are going to have a good long-term effect on the agency, it's much, much better. But of course, we don't have a crystal ball right now in terms of how things are going to pan out. So for me, mm. just a recap, it's about talent, making sure everyone's feeling feeling it and wanting to be at the agency, not having a politically charged machine that that no one really wants to be at and we've all been at those sort of companies all been at those sort of agencies and to kind of do the right thing for your clients and, and if you can keep your clients and keep winning and the work and attracting the best creative talent when we uh, won BMW and we did this girl can and we won Nokia globally and there was Many wins, sort of back to back, going back to sort of two eleven to two fifteen, and that's when I think you get the opportunity to produce work that really can win, uh, can win and can, which mm. is where we got to. And I think because of that, it was a massive attraction ultimately to IPG, uh, who needed to strengthen their creative muscle in uh, in London, which is why they came knocking on our on our door.
0: Hmm. So tell us a little bit about what that first year looked like then, because you'd taken the leap, you'd left a, a secure job with a good salary. Uh, your wife, would, understandably, must have been a little bit worried. Um, but you started, presumably, this is your first entrepreneurial venture. Um, you hadn't done anything like this before. You have, you weren't inheriting any clients. You weren't taking any clients with you. So tell us a little bit what that first year Looked like for the three of you. Um, what did you, how many clients did you win in that first year? How scary was it? What was the strategy in the early days to actually win those first clients? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's no, a good question. I mean, looking back on it, I haven't thought about that question for quite a while, Nathan. And uh, I must say that, um, you know, you have to have belief that you can do it better than your competition. And I think um, you have to have a solid plan and you have to have confidence. I think confidence in business full stop is a, is a massive thing. I'm not saying arrogance. I'm saying confidence and belief in your own abilities. And then the other bit, which I think some startups, not just agencies, some startup businesses fall down on is the, you know, the superhuman effort you need to prevail. You need to win. I remember the first year, um, when we're in this little flat in Wimbledon, which we all hated, um, <laughs> you know, we hated going in there, driving around in these dodgy little cars, which we hated, downgrading everything with no money and only just about affording to pay the mortgage. Right. Uh, and I think you know, getting in at seven thirty in the morning on a December, um, December the fifth or whatever it was, and doing that every day and not having any holiday for the first year or two, and you know, those sacrifices, I think, you have to make, um, are immeasurable, really, and that commitment to winning and that commitment to picking yourself up when you don't and just going again and going again. Um, that is the, to be resilient and to have that belief, which I've used quite a lot, that determination and grit. And I think with some of my old football analogies, which don't get me started on those, but I think there is a little bit of that team spirit within rugby mm. and football and in cricket, any sport, um, mm. Uh, whether it's netball or or whatever any team sport team I think sport. It, yeah any mm. team sport is is quite quite similar in a way to running an agency because you have to have everyone has to know their position and needs to be a team player it doesn't matter whether you're the you know the receptionist who is front of house and is meeting and greeting clients and people that are coming into the agency all the way through to you know the founders of my company you know everyone in between needs to pull together and unless you will do. I don't believe you can have a really successful, successful business. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean to say you're not going to have your problems along the way. Of course, of course you are. Every business does. But it's how you recover from those uh, those uh, issues and problems that makes it into a, a, a good, a good business, into a hopefully a great business, which uh, it took us a long time to get there. But I think we we almost we almost got there. Certainly IPG. <laughs>
0: yeah i think i think you got there uh so from 2001 to 2018 tell us how the company grew over that period of time employees turnover clients just yeah. high, high level numbers yeah know.
1: yeah yeah there's a lot of lot of highs and probably <laughs> even more lows but um, <laughs> there, uh, uh and that's it it's cyclical but, yeah advertising hmm. marketing the, the business is cyclical um and so after the first year i think was significant we realized that we had a business because we won a massive chunk of uh, budweiser which is now part of ab in um and that was our first significant significant win and kind of carried us for the first two or three years it was 70 80 of our revenue after the first um Sort of eighteen months, maybe less. We actually moved from Wimbledon, which we all really didn't want to be in Wimbledon, because with the creative talent then wouldn't wouldn't come down to Wimbledon. We couldn't get even oh, freelance; really? they wouldn't want to come. They you know, found thought it was out in the sticks. So we we moved up to um, up to Oxford Circus, just off Oxford okay. Circus, where we remained yeah. for about seven or eight nine years, maybe. Um, and we had uh, a floor of a building, then two floors, then two and a half floors, and then we had an annex around the corner. And as we grew. Um, and then you know, two thousand and eight or two thousand and nine came, which was a recession, and we had our first sort of big jolt. Uh, and we had to—I remember—we had to take a. Uh, the three founders took a a salary freeze. We didn't take anything for three or four months, maybe longer, um, and stopped all the pensions and just made some redundancies, which was the first time we had to do that. That was really tough making mm. redundancies because obviously it's people's livelihoods and uh, saying goodbye to people who are good. It's very different to saying goodbye to people who are not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to cut quite deep at that time. And then so we shrunk a bit in 2008, 2009, uh, only to bounce back with, with with wins. And during the next sort of three or four years, the business really kicked on. Um, so much so we had to move offices uh, a little bit later. But yes, we we uh, we suffered from, 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 from some ups and downs. It wasn't all plain selling. It wasn't all pure mm-hmm. growth. And to give you an idea on the numbers, I think when we left uh our Gar Street, which is where we were, just next to the Palladium, we were something around I reckon we were probably about eight or nine million revenue turnover, mm. so not a not a huge business. And then when we moved into great queen street in Covent garden we won quite a significant piece of business pieces of business and shot up to about 13 or fourteen million uh, revenue and became a little bit more serious and then we we went from there so i think as soon as you get scale and yeah. momentum in any business that's when you can actually have real success and you get more attracted or attractive to your prospect clients Clearly, if you're too small, the perception, and it's not always right on behalf of the client, they think, oh, well, no, the Inferno, they're too small. They're not going to be able sure. to partake in this. Uh, mm. And there were a number of things along the way that allowed us to um, have big spikes in our in our growth. And some of them on paper, you would think, well, no, there's no way that Inferno are going to win that. Um, mm. And um, But key hirings along the way, paying people more than you were paying yourself, that was a difficult pill to swallow. But, okay. you know, that... That you know to get the best talent, I think that what what stymies business growth more than anything else is not having a great team, a great leadership team, and making sure that they're uh, they're right for the agency culturally and and so on. Mm,
0: Super interesting. So, how did the ambitions of the agency change over that eighteen year period? I mean, were the ambitions similar to when you started? Through the challenging periods of growth, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and then when you rebounded a few years after that, talk a little bit about how the ambitions of the three founders changed over the eighteen-year period.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think year one, like any any business, and probably quite like a lot of businesses now, year one was about survival.
0: Survival, right? You,
1: you know, because if you've got if you've got a business after a year and you're in positive uh, cash flow um, you've got you've got a business I think Um, and that certainly was the case with us if if you're if you are struggling after year one it's it's quite difficult maybe you you can get lucky on year two but I think go really hard at it on year one and if you've got a some uh, some some reserves in the bank after year one that that is fantastic I mean I think Back then, when we started, even then, I think only one in ten or twelve uh, agencies would mm-hmm. would prevail, would succeed. And the definition of success is 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 survival, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with Fraser, Drew, and I, the, the founders of Inferno, we we were quite modest with how we approached the the business. Personally, I think a lot of companies, and I won't name any. Um, startups tend to get their hand in the tiller a bit too quickly and don't leave enough funds for a for a rainy day in the bank and we we weren't like that we kind of we we were really were quite mindful of having at least four four months of overhead in the business at any Mm. one given time and we got jittery if we if we didn't which is goes against sort of the entrepreneurial Mm. spirit of the three of us um Because you know, if you are entrepreneurial, you tend to be slightly more risk taking. But thank God we were a little bit like that. Because in two thousand and eight, where we had we had a slight um, downturn in our in our business and our fortunes, mm. only for a short period of time. But we needed that buffer to to come out the other side.
0: Look, I mean, you know, G- Jim Collins from from Good to Great says cites that as the main reason for the ten x leaders. The reason why ten x leaders are ten x leaders is because they have that buffer. He he gives the example of um, Bill Gates in the 80s when he had 12 months operating revenue for Microsoft just sitting in the bank. And all all of his advisors were telling him, that's crazy, why don't you use it strategically? Why don't you do something else with it? None of your other competitors are doing that. And he said, look, if we go on, if for whatever reason there's a downturn or not able to pay our employees or cover our expenses, we have at least 12 months guaranteed uh you know sort of uh, we have a buffer to be able to weather any storm and when storms came as they eventually did in the form of many recessions Mm. they were able to weather those storms and their competitors weren't and that's what and that enabled them to get that leap so um yeah it's it's something that is uh uh you know i guess it's contrary to sort of what a lot of entrepreneurs would do but i think it's the right sort of approach as it
1: yeah, 10, I mean, you. You, you wouldn't necessarily. I mean, right now you can borrow money, but you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to pay it back. And I, th- you know, one of the points of pride. This is probably a bit boring. <laughs> this comment, but one of the points of pride uh, at the agency uh, at Inferno, we never ever had an overdraft uh, at all, and we never we had an overdraft facility, but we never used it. And mm. this is probably not what your uh, audience is expecting me to say, but I think it's quite important, particularly now, to be you know prudent when it comes to. Looking after after the business, we were never in the shape Bill Gates was. We were twelve months of, <laughs> of, of, of of cash in the bank. Very
0: very few people are,
1: uh, but we always had. Uh, we always tried to have at least four.
0: Yeah, yeah, really, really interesting. So, so talk a little bit about how your problems changed from those early days, year one, year two, year three, to when you left in twenty twenty eighteen. How talk a little bit about what sort of ch- challenges and problems. Shifted and changed with the addition of new teams, yeah. talent, new clients, etc.
1: Yeah, I mean, any business, any agency, particularly, is defined by the clients they're they're working with, not the ones they they want to work with, and and therefore you're defined by kind of the work that's expected and the people that you have. And I think as if I look back at my journey, the uh, when we were about 40 50 maybe 60 people um you, you know you know everyone reasonably intimately you know their names you probably know their partners names you kind of get to know the people i took it, i took it upon myself very much so to understand and get to know what made everyone tick and it wasn't just out of curiosity it was because i wanted to know and i think i think that personal touch helped our helped our business um so i think you know looking back on it that clearly, um, if you go back to 2008, 2009, when we were about 50 or 60 people, probably, maybe a little bit more, where you knew everyone and you knew all the clients as well. When you fast forward and you go to 220 people, which is what what we were at our peak, it's very difficult to know uh, everyone intimately, as intimately, um, and, and indeed the clients, Nathan. It's very hard to know all of the clients because you've got a, a longer tail of clients that... That um, whilst you try your best to get to know them well, it's more more of a challenge. Which mm. is where we're actually having a really good second tier of management in place, which is what something we worked on very hard as we were going to sort of uh, an acquisition mode with, uh, mm. with IPG to have a really good. Not just the three founders, but to have a second layer, a really good, strong leadership team, which should, that took us a long time from two eight two nine to kind of when we sold at the end of thirteen, beginning of fourteen. Um, that that took a while to get really strong uh, team in place, and I don't just mean a strong client services director and a strong strategy team and and all of that. I mean, you know, really good finance team, a really good um, uh, HR and talent team. And the whole thing, gluing together well, um, and all those different departments working well together, um, is obviously more of a challenge with just by definition that you've got so many more people to, to kind of um, uh, organize and so many more people to really be believe in the business that you, you founded, or your co- you co-founded. And that, um, for me, the culture and getting the cultural piece in place was as important as uh, winning pitches because without hmm. a happy team of people and a motivated team of people, you were never going to win the pitches. So it was a bit chicken and egg, um, hmm. and working hard on the talent, believing in the talent, supporting the talent. I think we had a massive uh, uh, amount of loyalty to Inferno. Uh, people tended to stay, you know, our creative services director, uh, our HR director, our finance director. We had, you know, they all stayed seven, eight, nine, 10 years, some of, some of them more. Um, which I think if you can get that inherent um, uh, ambition shared with that leadership team, it just helps with the whole motivation of the agency because you can't micromanage as you get mm. bigger. It's impossible. And if you do, I don't think you're going to realize the full, uh, the full ambition and the full um, philosophy and development of the business. You're just not going to be able to realize the, that ambition. Mm
0: let's talk a little bit about pitching you say even though pitches are stressful and time consuming for agencies, they're also really big things for clients discuss,
1: sure sure, we uh, in the early days, if you don't mind me just going back to that Nathan, um, yeah, we would, as I said, we were very promiscuous we would pitch for anything and everything just to get, keep the lights on and to get through the first year or two of training, so Then, when the business was profitable and had a a good sort of uh, forecast against it, and as time went on, you you know that confidence thing comes into play, and you get more attractive as a as as an agency for clients to invite you into pitch. And we made it our business to find out what was out there as well, which is why I think that that new business ambition was 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 always very much foremost in my mind, particularly. but we you had to have sort of checks in place to to what you were going for if you're going to realize any kind of sustained growth as a business because if you are you know there's a few agencies in town vccp were particularly good at doing big pitches multiple pitches at the same time we never we never cracked multiple pitches at the same time i think it's very hard to do multiple pitches at the same time unless you've got enormous scale um but we are we had a good pitch pitching team or two that would normally normally prevail but the checks that we the checks and balances we put in place were you know is there a good creative opportunity here is there a financial upside It didn't always need to be a financial upside if the creative opportunity outweighed you know if we were mm. going to be winning in can um and and the numbers allowed us to go for a certain pitch even if it mm. wasn't going to be hugely profitable we'd go for it but normally we would have um, a figure set aside on, on a minimum amount of revenue that we would go for. And normally, we'd also have a, a, a at least a two-year contractual period with that client, locked down. Otherwise, the time and effort that gets, goes into pitching something, mm. it, it, it never pays back if if you can't keep the business for at least a couple of years. And I think that's mm. only, only fair. So we would do a lot of due diligence up front with clients and actually ask quite... Um, imposing questions of the client and just to see what's a level playing field and okay, particularly when we pitched BMW and BMW had been with uh, with, uh, WCRS as it was then engine group for 35 plus years I think and I, I remember talking to the AAR who were conducting that review on several occasions about the reality of it really moving anywhere if a client's been somewhere for such a long period of time is it really going really to shift? But I think the stars were aligned and they, they convinced me it was worth going for. And, and I'm really pleased we did.
0: Mm, really interesting. By the way, you mentioned at the um, top of the program that you worked with Nokia in the early ni- well, late 90s, early 2000s. You just slipped that into the conversation. They were huge yeah. in the late, uh, late uh, sort of early 2000s. Yeah. They were potentially the Apple of today how did you win such a prestigious client in the early stages of your agency yeah. career
1: it was about i think 2008 actually we came in and not huh. okay it was still but a very, still very, yeah very big brand and uh, and we were asked by it might be 2008 2009 please don't quote me on that but it was around that time and we were asked to pitch for a a retail piece of business for Nokia, their global retail piece of business, and I declined it. Actually, I declined it because we, we at the time had uh, Rim, which is BlackBerry Research in Motion, right? Okay, Blackberry, which is an who are also business. huge, <laughs> yeah. and that was over <laughs> a you know, massive, a significant um, amount yeah. of money that we were uh, we were receiving from BlackBerry on that team, and they yeah. had a very good team in place. And I, I, I said to the client. We'd love to, but we just can't do it. And, and by the way, I said, let me know, uh, Mr. Nokia, let me know if uh, if you don't have a good outcome, just out of curiosity. And about six weeks, eight weeks later, I get a call from the Nokia client, whilst we're very happy, just holding on to, to RIM, to BlackBerry, saying, listen, we've seen a few agencies. We don't like the outcome of, uh, any, of the, uh, any of the pitches on, on our business. Uh, would you be willing to have a pitch without an uncontested pitch without any other agency involved? And yes, uh, please. And yes, yes, we would. <laughs> we, we would. I'm not sure whether I'm going be saying this, but it's such a long time ago, I'm sure no one will really care. Um, so we pitched Nokia back then under a pseudonym called uh, I think we called it Igloo, Project Igloo. And so, because we didn't want to have an unsuccessful pitch uh, and, 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 in a way, Rim didn't need to know anything about it. So what we agreed with Rim, having won that pitch with Nokia, it was quite a sizable chunk of business. Was that we would have a standalone agency with the ongoing team looking after BlackBerry in a different building. So it would have its own P and L. would have its own. It wasn't smoke and mirrors at all because it was a. It was its own business. We hired a creative director. behind So. Rim sadly went into a kind of shell business, like the annex mm-hmm. of Inferno, and uh, we had separate branding, separate everything uh, and we got stuck in with 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 Nokia in the main mothership, and within a year, Nokia was probably twice the size of uh, of, of Rim and Rim at that time started to get into a bit of difficulty themselves, such a mm-hmm. fast moving business, the whole tech uh, mobile phone sector. And um, and then so we carried on with uh, with Nokia Retail, and then I think two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, we had the opportunity. Two thousand eleven, I think it was. We had the opportunity to pitch against Widen's and JWT and a few other agencies to to go for the whole global uh, advertising account. And and that that I mentioned a few moments ago. Um, you know, some agencies think, oh well, they haven't got a chance. They, it's with Widen's; they're doing some good work. Anyway, we went in and won the whole thing, and that was a a massive deal for Inferno because we at the time are probably, you know, ninety people or something, much smaller than our competition. And we had to go ahead with a Nokia Lumia launch, which was a, a big undertaking. And if you think back all those years ago it was uh, it was actually quite a big brand and, and uh, it's it's amazing how a brand can uh, maybe take the wrong left or the wrong right at the crossroads and end up where where they are but we we had a really good experience with Nokia lovely people yeah. got some got a lot of friends from there that was transferred over to Microsoft and a lot of the clients went out to uh, Seattle which is where a lot of them still are but an, an amazing journey and I think with new business you you were talking about you know, winning, and we won. I think campaign, new business of the year, agency of the year back in 2014, I think it was, and we were always kind of in the top five. And I think, yeah, that that momentum of winning that led to other wins like NSPCC, um, then, then Bernardo's when NSPCC went, Grant's whiskey. Um, we just we basically just could not stop winning for a period, which um, which was which was amazing. And I, I don't think there's a magic magic in the in the any magic in the bottle that I could share it was just a commitment mm. that we and a consistentish team working on on most of the most of the pitches and that sort of started to I think put us properly on the map it took us all that time 13 years to really have a name a proper name in London and then after that more momentum and a bit more fame and glory came came our way but it was a long long haul to get there uh, Nathan.
0: Mm. let's talk a little bit about the fcp uh, the fcb inferno merger in 2013-14 uh draft fcb came knocking and acquired you for a reported 11 million pounds with a earn out on top by all accounts they had their pick of many different very capable uh london agencies what made them pick inferno
1: i actually think um do You know what? I think a lot of the independent agencies uh, of any standing, any stature, have been gobbled up anyway by quite a lot of the big, big networks. But we uh, we had a good story to tell, and I think going back to the client list obviously spoke for itself. But also, our our leadership team. I think we were fit for purpose. Uh, as I said, we weren't looking for um, you know a, a sale at the time. Mm. I think they needed to. Uh, FCB in London had, or draft FC, FCB as, as they were then, um, it was reputed and widely reported rather that they had uh, issues in winning business and keeping business and so on. Um, so they needed to fix. IPG needed to fix the London problem, and they saw us as a as a as a great fix for for that. So when the transaction went through, it took quite a while to, for it to to go through, maybe eight or nine months um yeah you know, we found ourselves with an office in uh, it was like a reverse takeover effectively so they mm. were buying the management team and our client list and our our numbers really um and fcb and in, in uh, draft fcb still had a lot of talented people and we picked out you know some really good bits of uh, fcb they were over in eccleston square some really great people Bringing new things to the party and adding a richer culture to the one that Inferno had on its own, that was the thing I was kind of most worried about. How would you get two companies coming together who clearly are going to be very very different culturally and attitudinally maybe but so that first year was was a big year there was a you know a period of integration that we we it was like it was like going in startup mode again because i think they had about 120 130 maybe 150 people we had something similar so that 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 first year was a kind of reorganization year um it was getting you know the the actual structure in place getting the right team in place getting the right um creds and understanding and learning from uh, fcb what what they had in london and really getting to grips with it and and actually not being kind of uh, aggressive or arrogant in terms of how we were going to go about our business. I learned a lot from uh, a number of people at uh, at Draft FCB in Eccleson Square. Um, And I think it made the business, well, not not I think, it definitely made the, the combined entity a much, much stronger one because it had broader talent and a broader remit. We didn't do any CRM really without the merger, actually. Uh, Nathan, we would not. I don't believe g- have gone on to have won uh, BMW. Um, mm. We wouldn't have gone on that was in, that that was in the opening year. Uh, we went on to to win the mighty BM, BMW. Uh,
0: really interesting. Um, so talk a little bit about then because you're merging two cultures, two different. Businesses and and the combined uh, sort of size of those businesses were roughly around sort of two hundred and sixty people ish. Yeah. I'm sort yeah. of sort of sort of thinking, yeah. how do you, how do you communicate your vision to that many people who have come from potentially different leaderships styles, uh, have different potentially expectations, mm-hmm. potentially aren't aligned with the way that you're thinking and the vision that you have for the business how do you communicate your vision to get the buy-in to of 260 people
1: yeah it's a really good question Nathan. i think uh, uh, with with a lot of uh, uh, listening a lot of understanding a lot of empathy uh, but you know real kind of willingness to get under the bonnet of what the what drove the uh, draft fcb uh, people pre-merger um, and i think then having a leadership team because it wasn't just inferno people a leadership team there was many from from draft fcb and bringing in talents talented people that we just didn't have and because of the broader team we could have a slightly broader um, leadership team and so that the, the actual vision was born out of several workshops with the new leadership team and it was vital it would have failed if inferno just tried to go and do it on their own it would have failed because because yeah, you know, the the culture, the, the the two cultures were definitely a stronger combined culture than either one could would have been on their own. And in terms of launching that uh, vision and the kind of the values that we stood for, it wasn't either Inferno or FCBs. It was a combined mixture. Which I mean, so we we as Inferno were the leaders, I guess, of pulling that all together. But actually, having the empathy and the understanding and the buy-in of everyone within FCB that actually created a huge amount of excitement and a belief that this new entity could go and do even better things. And that's that's actually what it did do. I think the acquisition was a very successful one, not just financially for personal reasons, but it was very successful for everyone uh, involved within the business. And, of course, you're never going to please everybody. Sure, And some people left. Some people left because there was too much duplicity you know we didn 't need twenty people in our finance department um, and, and, and that we didn 't need eight receptionists kind of thing so there was there was always going to be some fallout and a and a sure. slim line slimline, uh, combination of the two two agencies um, mm-hmm. but I think those who were with the business and wanted to be part of the new new company the new the, the new entity. We're very excited about it. And I think that excitement got really uh, engaged, not just with the people, but with, uh, with our clients. Because all of our clients actually, the combined clients, noticed a, uh, an increased uh, differentiation in the offering of the, what the, the combined entity could actually deliver. So in mm-hmm. our case, we were probably more brand and advertising centric, um, but we didn't have the CRM thing, as I mentioned and 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 conversely with draft c b they hadn 't really done too much um uh, brand and advertising work, so the combined thing really did um, did fly and work incredibly well um, hmm. and i didn't have a i didn 't have a, any point of view pre acquisition whether it would or wouldn't because i didn 't know anyone really within the London office apart from sharon who uh, who's fab um and one or two others so um you know, largely kind of have to go and figure it out yourself but i think after we, we now sit in a big cinema actually the, the actual launch of the new uh vision and where we were going and how we were going to get there and, and the majority of the people wanted to be part of it but as i said you got to draw yeah. a line to the sand and those who aren't on the aren't on the boat or in the boat um yeah have to leave
0: really interesting in 2018 you made the decision to step away from fcb inferno why
1: um question, i think uh, Having started it way before we opened our doors for business, we think about it back in nineteen ninety nine when we left in in uh, Interfocus. We opened our doors for business on the on January the fourth two thousand, um, and then we sold the business. Had quite an extended earnout. We we sold it just before two fourteen, and then two two fourteen was a, like a like a year of just getting the two businesses together and then earn out year of 15, 16, and 17. So end of 17, I'd i been at the company for such a long time and I said to uh, I said to my wife, I really feel that I need a, a, a change. Uh, we've done the earn out. I felt the agency was in a good place. Uh, one of the other partners had already left just before me and it got to, I think, March, April, 2018, I said, I really, I think I'm, I'm going to leave now, and I wanted to go and back to working with smaller businesses. Not just agencies; I work, I work with brands as well. And that was when um, I, it just struck me that I felt, having worked in a sort of corporate environment, which I really loved, I love being part of a, of a holding company. Love being part of a global team. But I felt that I wanted to go back more to working with smaller. Uh, independent businesses, not necessarily just agencies, as I said, but people mm. um, with three really simple criteria. People who I like working with, who I like instantly, people or businesses or brands where I felt I could make an impact and, mm. and, and for there to be some kind of motivation on the upside in terms of either shares or um, a good financial package. So, um, as you know, I'm chairman of... Uh, of Pablo, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. creative agency, and I'm, I've been working with Organic, a wonderful, fabulous digital agency, and working with the likes of Impero, Tonic, and a number of other businesses. So I've got a pretty straightforward approach to to business, and hopefully working with those people and making an impact on those businesses, and ho- hopefully also learning something as I as I uh, as I go. And I guess what's important to me is not just having a good Broad view of uh, non-executive consultancy type roles. I'm much more hands-on, particularly with Pablo and Organic, than they're just going in sort of once a month and saying, "Oh, let's do this X, Y, and Z." We kind of, I kind of get down in the weeds and really help with the whole plan and the business. Right. And, and and so since then, what I've done actually, having secured those roles, I've, I've been working with um, the old, uh, our old uh, planning director, strategy director, a guy called Robin mm. Jeffrey. Robin mm. Jaffray and um, we work well together and we've recently formed just forming I sent you actually the R&D deck. I got it. Mm-hmm. And, and Robin oh it stands for Robin and D stands for the R&D Robin's a planner and into research and insights and he, he helped us win lots of pitches at Inferno and I'm kind of a founder and commercial person chairman and business development person and mm. um, the combination of that I think yeah we just tell clients straight what we think you know what would we do what would we do if it was our business and i think that very honest uh, mm. approach is going down well and we're just kind of getting the business launched now uh and what we do is really work with bold and uh, creative ambitious businesses and help them kind of get to the next stage and help them flourish and i think it's um, it's a really interesting stage we're at and with covid uh, we're actually getting a lot of interest in terms of, well, how can you help us through this and, and out the other side? So we're not mm. like traditional consultants. So, so we get down in the weeds and really kind of um, help push that business along. We've also, well, let's, talk, sorry, go on.
0: Let's, let's talk a little bit about that then, because there are a number of questions that you uh, get your clients to answer uh, or that they ask you. Uh, how does my brand get out of the blocks fast when Covid nineteen is over? What does the agency of tomorrow look like? How do I structure my leadership team? How do we make better business with existing resources? How do we get our mojo back? Mm-hmm. Um, what sort of businesses what sort of business are we and want to be? It's a really good interesting question. Mm-hmm. We believe there's a massive opportunity to disrupt the market. How do we do that? How do we get the right people in the boat? Uh, what's our positioning and proposition to the market? Where do we need to be in three years, and how do we get there? All really, really interesting questions. What are what questions are of most concern to the CEOs and founders that you're speaking to today?
1: Depends. It's a very good question. I think it depends which CEO uh, that I'm working with. Um, it really does depend. Um, when I when I mention the the model, a lot of the companies I've, I've helped advise with the CEO quite often the ceo is the majority shareholder and it can be it can be quite a lonely place being the majority shareholder of a thriving business that's wanting to get to to jump onto the next stage so i think it's really getting to understand the specific issues one of the things i've really appreciated since leaving um, fcb inferno is how different every agency is they may end up doing similar stuff but it's the people and the characters within that business that really drive that business forward. And clearly, if I'm talking about independent agencies here, which is what I'm talking about, those, uh, those leaders tend to be quite entrepreneurial, but, but, but quite lonely. And they can all have slightly different issues. So there's one company that this guy told me uh, his story and he, he uh, talked talked to me for about 45 minutes. And he said, what do you think? And I said, I think you're fucking mad. Said, Why is that? I said because you're doing everything yourself. You're the managing director. You're the creative director. Right. The strategy director. Right. So he makes with, the tea, yeah. washes the floors. So Was that one? I've kind of helped um, bring in a new managing. Well, he, he didn't have a managing director, so we've done. We've we've kind of with uh, with Robin actually. We've kind of we've kind of got a, a leadership team in place now, um, a better structure, and, and yet again, it's not just interviewing all the. All the not on the leadership team, even it's like in, interviewing you know, everyone in the business, getting to know everyone in the business. This business is a thriving business, 40, 50 people, and understanding, having a, an empathy with what each of them wants, spending time with them, but also spending time with the clients. And um, I can go in, as can Robin, and we can go in and talk to the clients and have an off the record and House rules type conversation. This is um, Tim and Robin, and we can ask all sorts of questions. About the business that are pertinent to the company, whoever we're working with, because we do this with, with a number of companies, but really get to understand what it is that we could, as that agency in this case, do more for that client and understand how they're how they're going about it. And there's a lot of people that do client agency, sorry, agency sorry, client uh, interviews. But I think we get right down in the weeds. And because we've been around for such a long time, we, we know exactly the language to use. Mm. And I think it's been very beneficial for a number of businesses. So it's a, there isn't one size, one shape fits all, one size fits all. I think there is a mixture of tools that we have. But it's it's very much about the start point is, well, what would we do if this was our business? That That mm. is... The honest truth and it's no yeah we don't go in there as some kind of like uh uh, highfalutin consultant we really got the answer (laughs)
0: yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah listen to us really really interesting tim i'm just bringing the interview to towards an end now i could talk to you all all day there were so many questions i I didn't get the the, uh, chance to uh ask you we're gonna have to get you back on the show but final question before I, we get into our favorite questions at the end yeah, of the interview sure. um many are predicting a sort of v-shaped recession as so much of the pent-up frustration that we have by being indoors is suddenly released and people are able to go back and spend money and in the economy but you think it may be more of an l-shaped recession discuss
1: uh, don't I think I said L shape, but anyway,
0: um, maybe not L shape, but not not yeah. the bounce <laughs> back, not <laughs> the V. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think I, right. think I think where I believe we're at now, and of course, yeah, depending on when you send this out to your um, to your audience, uh, Nathan, whatever I say now in a month's time will probably, <laughs> I'll probably be proven. <laughs> in a, right. a couple of days' but time, I, yeah, in a couple of days' time, you're right. But where I see it now is. Um, you know, Q2, which obviously ends in June, is pretty much done and dusted in terms of forecasting, if forecasting a business, is pretty much done and dusted. Hopefully, those numbers look secure and the business looks good for the end of June. I think Q3, there will be a... There are green shoots already and there's a mm-hmm. lot to be optimistic about. Um, I, do, I don't I do see it being a V-shaped thing. I hope I'm proven wrong. I th- I think Q4 that's what it's all to play for. And I think those who are quick out of the blocks, those who really have uh, their finger on the pulse and understanding the client language, I already see um, brands changing their tune a little bit in terms of actually wanting to produce work that is selling stuff now or beginning to. I can see that coming through. So I, I think I am optimistic about uh, pulling out of it. I think one thing's for sure, though, we've got to be realistic that budgets are going to be less. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, that will result in greater client uh, needs in terms of reviewing their, their agency needs, not just what they're doing in-house, but what they're needing from their agencies with, with, reduced, with reduced budgets.
0: Mm.
1: And I think 2021, the first six months of 2021 will be a very interesting from a, from a sort of pitching point of view. And I'm hoping lots of opportunities for lots of, lots of businesses.
0: Tim, we're going to have to get you back on the show in a few months time to sort of just give us an idea of where we are. I mean, there are so many questions that we didn't get to around sort of what the new agency, new business model should be, how we should be helping clients around this sort of time, what reemergence looks like for all of us. Uh, We're going to have to uh, sort of get you back on the show to sort of um, ask those questions. But let's get into our, our favorite questions now. These are the questions that I ask all of all of my guests, so I'm really excited to ask you some of them as well. Um, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience.
1: Mm. Um, well, I won't talk about pitches because, you know, yeah. we've failed so, many times, right? <laughs> so I won't, I won't talk about that. I think
0: having I mean, said that you win more than you lose. Well, so
1: we, we did in our, in our real sweet spot right. for sure. And I think on that, you just got to pick yourself up. But um I think when I was playing football, I was so confident that I was going to end up being a long. That was going to be my career. I think the fi- the realization that I probably wasn't quite good enough, and that I got cropped, I had too many injuries, and leaving uh, Ipswich, getting into my little car, coming uh, back down south, thinking, "Well, that's the end of that then." And um, what am I? What the hell am I going to do? And that 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 hurt a lot because if you're doing something over such a long period of time like from the age mm. to 10 or something and you mm. believe that you can achieve that 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 line yeah this that, is your destiny this yeah, is what so is out that, that was uh, that was really hard in terms mm. of uh, uh, failing and not uh, but actually I think it longer term helped with inferno and the whole kind of team part of of how we were and how we behave and how culture was that that failure was uh was probably my even though I was very young at the time was a very Mm. tough one to swallow.
0: Mm. Really interesting tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced your approach to media to uh, marketing to advertising uh yeah
1: yeah oh gosh um well I always admired um AMV growing up as a as a as a, as a as sort of when I first got into the industry, mm-hmm. I they were brilliant, um, brilliant agency. I think the founders were fantastic. I, uh, equally with BBH, I think mm-hmm. uh, yet again the founders, fantastic team. Sure. Um, and, and and actually, uh, we never got anywhere near as successful as BBH. Let's face it, but they they had three founders, uh, Bartle, Bagel, and Hegerty. and I think a little bit like Fraser, Drew, and I. Obviously, on steroids in their case, had <laughs> had had the ability to give each other enough space and respect each other's capabilities and areas of expertise mm-hmm. that allowed the business to really flourish. Um, because they weren't stamping, they weren't treading on each other's each other's toes. Um, they worked very well together, and I think we had a little bit of that uh, with with us at Inferno. Um, other businesses. When I started out, um, there was a guy called John Harding, who uh, was at Bates. He was a creative director there. Um, I mean, he's probably in his 70s or 80s now. Uh, yeah. wonderful copywriter. Uh, in fact, I was made redundant from Bates. We uh, we lost a lot of business on uh, 18 months into my career there, and we uh, I was one of 50 casualties one Friday afternoon. And uh, John called me into his office. Everyone had their own office then he said uh yeah don't worry tim you'll be fine because there's two types of people in this business those that should be in it and those that shouldn't
0: <laughs> wow and, and uh wow
1: that gave me great gusto to get out and, really interesting uh, get back out there and uh uh yeah so um uh, yeah. too many to, to mention but yeah. i think uh um some really fantastic people in the business i mean i think that overall i've met some amazing people in the, in this uh in this uh hmm. The, world that we're
0: in. the books question this is everyone's favorite question this is the, this is the question that i get most messages and emails about tell us about some of your favorite books fiction non-fiction uh books that have helped your career in marketing advertising and entrepreneurship whatever
1: mm. so I, re- I do like reading books uh i read i read a, probably a hatful full of books uh these days, I'm massive. I've read a lot of biographies over the years. I love read biographies and thrillers and stuff like that. I've, I did what I did do was um, the CAM diploma um, after my football days, which, which meant a lot of reading and writing. I guess that's uh, would be what would that stand for now. It's a different thing. What is it? Uh, God, what is it, Nathan? I've lost my uh, HND uh, so, CAM uh, diploma. Exactly. it's like a CAM diploma. Yeah, it's like I've not heard of it. No, well, it probably doesn't even exist anymore. But there was a lot of reading and, and sort of yeah. in terms of understanding behaviour traits and what goes on in humans' minds. So sort of behavioural right. and, and behavioural science books, I quite like. Right. I quite like those because yeah. you know putting yourself in the mindset of the consumer all the time is 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 something that's so so important. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that whole course mm. with Cam. Um, in terms of other reading, I mean, I, I find myself not reading uh, the newspaper anymore. I've kind of stopped mm. reading the newspaper. It, it pisses me off every day or listening mm. to the news. You're mm. kind of into mm. the same old, same old. I, I, do, I yeah. actually do read the New York Times. I subscribe to the New York Times. And I, okay. I, I find that quite interesting. I, I read that maybe once a week. Um, in terms of just on COVID nineteen, I think there's yeah. so much doom and gloom about it, the whole thing and uncertainty, and and the, the the government just kind of being political as opposed to um, saying anything much more interesting than that, and just giving us stats every day. I find that quite de- depressing. I think, um, um, and I, I love that program on on TV the other night actually on Horizon. I don't know if you saw it about no. COVID nineteen. It just gave a no. really broad you. and I don't watch that much telly, but I did tune into that. I really, really, enjoyed, yeah. really enjoyed that. So, yeah, reading, I, yeah. I kind of um, I love uh, I love biographies and I love any any thriller, but uh, weirdly enough, do you know, I've, I've not actually got into much reading at all since the lockdown. I huh. Okay,
0: that. so just know? on that, then how have you been keeping your spirits high since the lockdown? What have you been doing? What have you been? Either watching, reading, listening to, uh, exercising. How have you been keeping your spirits high?
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Good question. I mean, firstly, one thing I must say, I've, I've loved uh, not travelling. I think I've had six international flights booked during this period, uh, right. including a trip to New York. That's obviously been cancelled. Right. Uh, right. Uh, so that's that's not happening. Uh, I'm really I've been really love I've loved being at home with my missus actually. I've really enjoyed being at home with my mm. wife and and seeing her, even though uh, I've been married for a long time, but actually being with her a lot of the time mm. now is, is has been great. And my daughter came That's back great. daughter came back for a bit and she was here for three months and um, she's now back in London. But fantastic yeah. spending that, all that time with her. I'm not don't got, yeah. got into I've yeah. loved really um, playing darts. I got into dark, okay. I got a dartboard and I actually got pretty good at darts um, <laughs> and uh, I played ball as well normally with a glass of rosé on a Friday night
0: <laughs> absolutely love it last last couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go what advice would you give to a millennial or young person who comes to you and says that they want to start an agency or start their career in the media and advertising
1: world yeah um don't do it. No, do. Have a, have a, have a think about <laughs> what it is you can bring to the party. I mean, there are a lot of, uh, there's going to be a lot of reorganization of agencies oh. and startups. I remember fondly, um, clients want to hear about it. Generally, clients want to hear what you've got to say. If you've got something hmm. new to say, they will be, people like having asking you if you were to ask their advice about what do you think of this creds debt how do you what do you think about this business proposition even if it's Mm. for a small group of people you can get them on on side and then all of a sudden you've got a business so go for it
0: Mm. really really good advice and and my final question tim what does you know about growing an agency today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career
1: uh the importance of having great talent around you Mm. No, you can't do it on your own brilliant
0: great place to end Tim thank you so much for doing this pleasure we have been speaking with Tim Douse he was formerly the founding partner at FCB Inferno if you enjoyed this conversation then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 81 such conversations we've had now with world-class sales and marketing leaders Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and give us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Megeki is our booker slash project manager. Marian Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters.